really wanted to express our expectations for the season, um, our expectations for them, um, you know, from the coaching staff, um, the expectations to them about each other and the way to handle things. And uh, it was hopefully clear, concise, and to the point. And, uh, you know, from, from here, we have to go out, you know, and do all those things we talked about. You know, those things are just words. I think the thing that's going to tell the tale is if we can accomplish all those things we talked about every single day to get to where we want to go. He expects the best out of you every day, but he's not a guy that's going to harp over you and make you feel bad for a mistake. He's going he's gonna to push you, and he's really going to try to find the, what makes you tick, and, and that's the greatest thing about Mickey, and that's the hardest thing about a good coach is being able to say the same thing a few different ways, and, and that's what Mickey does. It's going to be exciting. It's always fun when there's um, some good guys around you down in that bullpen that we could always feed off of each other and, and guys could pick you up. And, and it's going to be a, uh, an interesting year down there. There's going to be a lot of opportunity, and um, we're going to win some games. I think that uh, from everything I've seen, guys are so close here. It's a close-knit group, and um, I'm, I'm excited over the next few days to, to have this opportunity to, to make some friends and, and be some you know, good teammates. It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Monday, February 19th, 2018. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silver Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcast service you desire. First, I guess, official full squad, reporting date, workout, whatever you want to call it, for the New York Mets today, and a good way to, I guess, kick off what really is, I mean, we had Jared Diamond and Bob Klapish on last week, this is our first official Everybody Reports Pitchers and Catchers podcast, so welcome to the program. No guests tonight, as promised a couple of weeks ago, I was going to take your calls, and I will take your calls, and had some good ones, so we'll get to that in just a bit. Some interesting comments from uh, the fans over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Also want to welcome in some of the baseball fans. Hopefully a bunch of Mets fans uh, had uh, a website called The Grueling Truth, uh, basically promoting the show, uh, helping us out a little bit. Uh, They're part of uh, the iHeartRadio network, so they'll be able to after this gets parsed out over on my uh, iTunes account, they'll be able to go over there and send this out to their fan base and hopefully, you know, get a whole bunch of new fans of this show. And, and we saw a little bit of a bump as they, and they, you know, they partnered us about a week ago. So just trying to get the word out about the show. Of course, our, you know, primary focus is the Mets and, and, and the good folks over at MetsMarinesOnline.com. So, Nothing's changing, just trying to expand out a little bit and get some uh, other fan bases involved. And it's a good way to cross-promote and, and get the word out about what's going on uh, with the Talking Mets podcast here and your buddy Mike Silva. So um, where do I start? You heard the uh, comments from Anthony Swarzak and both Mickey Calloway, some audio to open up the uh, program. And um, I'm not going to make this monologue long because I want to get to the calls. I want to get to the comments you know, I want to talk to you guys about, you know, what's going on out there. But, uh, you know, look, you guys know, and I've been saying this for a while, that the Mets, for a long time, maybe for 15 years, I, I don't think they've had really good dugout leadership. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I think Willie Randolph actually did, with Rick Peterson, a pretty good job 
And what happened there was unfortunate. That's not really something we want to dive into. But for the whole Terry Collins era, I thought the Mets were awfully managed. I thought the pitching coach was awful. I've never felt good about the on-field leadership of the Mets. And, yeah, I understand Mickey Calloway. Everything right now, and, and you heard his words, are just, are just words. There's, it's, there's, there's nothing there that's tangible in terms of results. But you have to like the mindset. And some of the comments coming out, Jay Bruce talking about how, you know, everybody's clear about the message and Mickey Calloway's uh, very direct. And uh, I mean, basically, and I, and I said this a lot and I've said this to you guys, you know, the real barometer of what a good culture is, is that you, and sometimes it's almost like politics where you have a theme. Now there's got to be some teeth. There's got to be some. Uh, you know, execution of the word. You can't just go out there like a politician and say things, and then when you peel the onion there, there's nothing behind it. But Mickey Calloway has been talking about preparation and routines and really focusing on the things, the process, the things that go into being a successful team. He's not going out there and saying the Mets are going to win the division. He's not going out there saying they're going to win a championship. He's not doing what his predecessor did and basically talking about how, uh, you know, we're going to play hard. Well, that's bare minimum. He's talking about preparation. He's talking about routines. And it really starts and reminds me of how he's getting this team back focused from what has been a two-year malaise since they went to the World Series in 2015. It's similar to when Pat Riley took over the Knicks. And I don't know if they'll have the same success, and I'm not suggesting that Mickey Galloway is anywhere near the Hall of Fame coach, motivator, speaker that Pat Riley is and was as the Knicks coach. But when Riley came in, he talked about being the hardest working, best conditioned, most professional team. And none of that was talking about championships. Now, yeah, they talked about championships as time went on, but it started with the process. It started with setting the foundation it started with setting the culture. You can't just come in and say, we're going to win a division. We're going to win a championship. We're going to be the best team in the National League. Because you don't know. Uh, what you can control and what you can focus on is the, the preparation, the routine, putting everybody on notice that they're going to have to do what's in their power to come to the ballpark and be professional, set a routine, uh, and then hold them accountable to that. And if you do that, Nobody could complain. If you sit them down and say, this is what I expect from you every day to come to this ballpark, and here's how I believe, and you work with them about how they believe they can be the best, and like as Mickey Calloway said, the version of themselves, whatever that is, and that's an interesting way of putting that, uh, then, look, you can't really quibble over the results because – there are going to be areas where the Mets are going to be good, and there are going to be areas where they're deficient. They're not going to be the perfect team. But if everybody comes to the ballpark, everybody comes focused, I think they're going to have a pretty interesting year. Obviously, they added some pitching. They, uh, you know, The hot stove, which is all of a sudden was cold the whole winter. Here we are in spring training, and J.D. Martinez signed, and Eric Hosmer signed, and the Mets jumped into the fray by signing one of the, you want to call it second or third tier arms, Jason Vargas, a former Met, now a current Met sign for what I thought was a reasonable deal based on the numbers and pretty much $8 million a year. When you saw what Jaime Garcia got, uh, you know, similar type of pitchers, that's essentially what the going rate in the market is. And I think Jason Vargas will give them some innings and some stability and add some element of competition that has been missing. There's no scholarships here. Just because you're a prospect, just because you were traded for Carlos Beltran, just because you were hyped doesn't mean that you have uh, a spot in this rotation. I think Zach Wheeler will learn that pretty quick. And there's nothing wrong with that. So, look, we're a week into this. Uh, there's not much that you can really pull away from spring training other than positives. I mean, if again, if you're not positive now, when the heck are you going to be positive? I mean, not everything's been positive. I, I think there was more ominous, and I don't think anybody's surprised about it, but some ominous signs that the the pending end of David Wright is very near. I think we all could agree on that. Uh, you know, who knows how that's going to play out and when that's going to happen. But I, I really believe, 
And I thought maybe last year this was going to happen. I really believe that you're going to have a David Wright. I don't know if he can retire. I don't know how the money situation is going to go. You know, maybe the Mets work a deal with him and buy him out and send him on his way. Something along those lines. I don't know how that would work because, you know, he still owed quite a bit of money. But I just can't see David Wright every year coming to spring training pretending that he's trying to come back when he physically can't. Bob Clappish tweeted out something interesting about how David can't stand up more than five minutes without really being in pain. If that's where he's at right now, I mean, he's never going to play. He's never going to play. So, uh, obviously, Mickey Calloway feels hit, you know David being around the team is a positive. Maybe he wants to coach at some point. I really don't know what his future holds. He's made a lot of money. We could get into the David Wright, uh, you know, almost the baseball Greek tragedy, so to speak, about how, you know, what could have been. And even though he gave us glimmers of, of what could have been or glimpses throughout the first four or five years of his career, it really never at some point, uh, you know, turned out the way that I guess you would want it. Here was something really interesting, and I'll throw this out to you guys that um, I think our our friend Michael Mayer tweeted out. I'm going to find this right now. Actually, uh, actually no, it's, it was retweeted by our friend Michael Mayer, but Matthew Brownstein said, since 1901, David Wright is one of only 12 players to post the following through their first 13 seasons. OPS plus of 130 or better, on-base percentage of 375 or better, stolen base rate of 75% or better, uh, WPA of 30 or better. I'm really not that versed in what the advanced that of WPA. But um, this included Mantle, Mays, Bonds, uh, Aaron, Chipper Jones, A-Rod, and uh, Ricky Henderson. So, I mean, David Wright's a really good player. He's in really good company. I don't know if he always felt that way watching him. There was a, there's been a lot of drama, but... If you want to talk about the only storm cloud so far and what has been a very early positive camp for the Mets, uh, it's basically been uh, David Wright and his status and things like that. I know there's a lot more to talk about. You know, I, you know Sandy Holterson and everybody's talking about, you know, this this Donald Trump stuff and and uh, not that I shouldn't say Donald Trump, Eric Trump stuff, Tim Tebow. You know, I thought Mickey Calloway uh, navigated his first mini controversy well, basically laughed off, which is just the Daily News being the Daily News, trying to stir the pot with the whole Instagram with Philip Evans and you know, Don Jr. and the shark, shark fishing. I guess it was the, trying to catch some sharks there uh, on their day, you know, on the time off or whatever it may be. Faux controversy. And then, uh, you know, I'm not going to get it too much into Sandy Alderson's comments about Tim Tebow potentially making the team. There's nothing there. I mean, he's going to be in double-A Binghamton, and uh, if Tim Tebow can help this team get a 40-man roster spot, so be it. Who knows? Maybe, and as long as it doesn't impact negatively a prospect on the 40-man, maybe he's a guy that can come up and play some defense and pinch run, and who the hell knows? Maybe he can help out in some capacity. I don't know, and I don't really think that's something to worry and talk about like we've seen across the board. So in general, like I said, good start. Uh, looking forward to the calls. I also got the mailbag. I know some of you guys sent me a couple of people sent me tweets. I also know that um, there's been some comments in the thread over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. So a lot to get to. I want to get to it, um, and we'll, we'll we'll take a quick break. So you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and also now at our uh, friends over at The Grueling Truth, which is also available on iHeartRadio, on the iHeartRadio network. So let's take a quick break. Let's get to the phone calls right after this. I'm just really excited to be here, um, fired up to get into camp, and um, just want to get things going and get acclimated and get, get blended in here with the team. And um, my family and I are very excited, very thankful. Um, to the front office here, to Sandy, to the Wilpon family for putting me in a position to be able to compete for a championship. I take pride in being somebody that the guys behind me can count on and that I'm, they're not going to have to wonder if I'm going to uh, step out there on the field on that fifth day and uh, be able to give them a quality start. And um, You know, things happen in this game that you can't control, um, but 
uh, I do everything I can to go out there and, and get the ball every fifth day. From our standpoint, we were looking for a quality pitcher first and foremost. But uh, all of these other um, considerations, um, uh, I think, add to uh, his attractiveness to us. Um, but, uh, um, you know, it's, it's the quality of the pitcher, not his handedness and, and, uh, and his durability. And that, those were the two. Those 18 wins stand out. Those 32 starts stand out. 180 innings would have been second on our rotation last year and uh you know we need to get back to the point where we've got seven or eight guys starting all of our games and not 11 12 13 if we can do that uh you know we're going to be pretty good and jason really helps us in that regard we're back Talking Mets podcast, and you heard Jason Vargas at his press conference. So everybody, you know, again, it's all positive. See, Mickey Calloway setting the tone. Uh, you know, everybody's in the best shape of their life. Uh, you're hearing good things about Lagares' swing. Jose Reyes, happy to be back. Like I said, you can't really point out much negative unless you want to go into the whole direction of David Wright and you know, it's still very early. There's always a chance for some storm clouds, but enjoy the positivity. You can't be positive on February 19th. When can you be? So anyway, let's uh, go to the phone lines. Let's hear what you, the listeners of the Talking Bits podcast, have to say, your questions, your comments, and let's get to it. So let's kick it off. Hello, Mike. My name is Doug. I go by the professor on Mesmerize, and for the call-in show, I just had Quick comment, I think uh, Vargas is a good signing. Should give a decent amount of quality innings at a fair price. But I was wondering, as a as a challenge, could you give us your guess on how many starts each of the Mets starting pitchers will make this year? And also, do you think the Mets will, I believe, break the team record of home runs for the third consecutive year? Thank you. Well, I remember this question last year, and I think I failed miserably at it, if I remember correctly. So thank you, Professor, for uh, calling in. And let's go through this. So I'm going to do some of the math with you guys here. And I think Sandy Alderson said that, and he said it today, if maybe it was the other day, if you have seven or eight pitchers making your starts, Majority of your starts are in good shape. Now, Rick Peterson told me a long time ago when I was talking some pitching with him, you need to have you need to go into spring training basically having ten starters deep. When you, you don't want to get to nine and ten, because you're starting to get to nine and ten, the quality of those starts remains to be seen. Remains to be seen very much so. Uh, that's that you know I think that that kind of you know goes without saying, but you definitely can't just assume that all starters are going to uh, you know perform at the at you know at, at the rate that you know you're just going to get five starts here. So let's start with the rotation and let's start with Jacob DeGrom. I think it's fair to say at this point in his career, I know he had some injuries back in 2016, you could get 30 starts. So I'm going to say 30 starts for Jacob DeGrom. Uh that's probably the easiest one as we go. Now Jason Vargas, let's let's look at Jason Vargas for a second. Jason Vargas is can can you count on him for 30 starts? Let's take a quick look here at Jason Vargas. So Jason Vargas is a guy that you know, he had 32 starts last year. Yeah, he got hurt in 15 and then, you know, had had the Tommy John surgery. Uh, let's say, because I think the Mets are going to probably try to employ a six-man rotation or space things out. Let's put him down for 30 starts. So that's pretty good. Now, what are you going to get out of the 30 starts of, of Vargas? I, I think that's a league average 30 starts. I think six innings, three runs. That's kind of what you're going to get there. All right, so we've, um, you know, we've got the, those two. Now here's the real question, because you're getting into – the nitty gritty here. So let's go to Noah Syndergaard. So you got to real, you got to figure that last year was an outlier. If Noah Syndergaard again 
starts just six or seven games, the Mets are in a lot of trouble. Syndergaard did 31, 30 starts back in 2016 and 24 and 15. <sighs> Let's see. Maybe they skip him a couple of times. Let's put him down for like 28 starts. So Syndergaard will put him down for 28. All right. Um, so, so far, that's 30, that's 60, that's 88 games. Now, Matt Harvey, that's the tricky one. Will Matt Harvey be, will Matt Harvey be effective enough? The interesting part about Matt Harvey is I believe if Matt Harvey does not pitch well in spring training or shows that he can't give any length like he hasn't the last couple of years, can you know, would he be a bullpen option? That's something interesting. Can he be a bullpen option? I don't know. It's, it'd be it'd be interesting if they would think about that. Would he be I don't know if he'd be the stretched out bullpen option that the Mets have talked about, which Mickey Callaway have talked about, where one of those guys could come in and throw bullets for an inning. Um, you know, he's free agent year. He's been down for a couple of years. You know, he's working on things. Dave Island, Mickey Callaway. Let me go out on a limb and let me say that Harvey's going to pitch. And let me put 28 starts. Let's see if we get 28 starts out of him. All right. It's 30, that's 60, that's 80, that's 100. That's 116 so far from four starters. Now, the fifth starter. Let's go here and go back. This is where it gets even trickier. So, Professor, you're giving me a little bit of an assignment here. I wasn't prepared for to pull this on the air. I, tried to do, I want to do these questions, even though you guys left them on the call-in line. I want to do these pretty much... Blind. Steven Matz. Can Steven Matz give you... I'm kind of going where these guys are going to get skipped to start, the injured guys. Steven Matz at 22. You know, maybe he's got some elbow tenderness. Let's go 25 for Matz. So 25 for Matz puts him at 25 plus 116. That's 131. So I now have five starters making up 131 starts. That's probably about 11 more than most. I mean, 120 is probably the minimum, so maybe I'm giving a little bit too many for uh, Syndergaard and Harvey. But, but 131, that's, that's a very healthy number. Now, who would make up the final 31 starts? Well, there's where you got your Montero. You've got your Gazelman. You've got your Lugo. I mean, if you want to just divide that by three, that's about 10 starts each. You know, maybe they kind of sub in once in a while for match. You go six-man rotation, those three. Uh, it'll be interesting if flexing gets any kind of play on that. Uh, we'll see if this comes to fruition because right now that's that's not a bad eight deep. Lugo could be kind of the guy that goes, I think, could be a multi-inning guy out of the bullpen. Um, you know, I'm not quite sure how Gazelman will translate. Um in that situation, Montero, oh, geez, you know, he's out of options. So I could see maybe, because I think, I know Montero's out of options. Gazelman has options. Maybe there's some guys who are going to spend some time in the minor leagues, depending on how they pitch. Uh, they really, uh, you have to kind of, as the spring training went on, you know, what is their veteran depth down in AAA? I think eight deep right now, and that's where Vargas comes to play and is important. It pushes a Gazelman or a Lugo out of needing to be in the rotation to being depth. So that's my prediction, Professor. Uh, I'm not sure if that's going to uh, come to fruition. Uh, we'll see. And, yes, I do like the signing of Vargas, as you can tell from my comments here on this uh, very long-winded answer to the first question here on the Talking Mets podcast. So let's go to the lines. Let's hear who's next. Hey, Mike, this is Daryl. I love the show, man. Great work. I'd like to hear your thoughts on Callaway's opening press conference and the lineup construction uh, one through nine, who hits where, specifically Adrian Gonzalez, and where do you see him hitting at, and what kind of year do you expect to have, or does he expect to have? Thanks. Thank you, Daryl. Love Mickey Callaway. I think you heard my comments in the open. Uh, I really love how he's putting expectations out there, talking up the quality of the rotation, 
talking about preparation, talking about routine, setting the foundation for the culture. And with that, it should lead to expectations of uh, winning a championship, or I should say competing for a playoff spot uh, and being a contending team. So, so far, so good. I, I know that everybody was like, oh, my God, he's, he's offending the, the Indians by saying it's the best group of arms he's ever seen. Well, what do you think he's supposed to say? And it, it is a good group of arms. I mean, just a couple of years ago, everybody was saying that. And a couple of bad years, and I think a lot of years that were a result of bad preparation and bad focus that led to some of this. Uh, you know, took a lot of that away. So he's trying to get a little bit of that edge back. As far as the lineup, and I guess I'll go through this similar to what I did uh, with the professor's question about the rotation. I know there's been some talk of leadoff and you know how that's going to play out. So I, I think Brandon Nimmo, and I don't know how. I remember Terry Collins used to always say, "Well, if Nimmo bats leadoff when he plays, just." slide Ligaris in there on the days he doesn't. Uh, you know, so I, if Nimmo's in the lineup, Nimmo, because of his on-base percentage, and I guess this is before Conforto's back, so let's put it that way. Before Conforto's back, Nimmo would lead off uh, batting second. I'm going to put a little question mark there. I think third would be Cespedes. Cleanup would be Bruce. I think you want to split up the righty. So you go Bruce, then Frazier, right? Then Agon, if he's in there. Adrian Gonzalez, I'm calling it Agon. So you got first base, you got third base, you've got right field, you've got left field. Nemo's playing center, right? First base, third base. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. I would say if Reyes is in the lineup, Reyes is probably more down the lineup at second base. If Cabrera is in the lineup, I think Cabrera is more of a two-hitter. So put him at second base if he's in. So Reyes will probably bat further down. Um, and who am I missing here? So And then there's Darno after, uh, you know, Travis Darno after Adrian Gonzalez. So the way I look at it, forget about leadoff at number two. I see Cespedes, Bruce, righty, lefty, Righty, Gonzalez, lefty, righty, and Darno. And then either you're going to have Cabrera batting second if he's at second base, and Lagares batting down in the lineup. He's in center field, batting eighth if he's there. It really depends then at that point if Nimmo's in center field versus Lagares or Cabrera's at second base versus Reyes. But you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's pretty much the lineup. Nimmo, Cabrera, Cespedes, Bruce, Frazier, Gonzalez, Darno. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then, um, am I missing anybody here? I got Gonzalez. I got the catcher. I got second base. Oh, how can I forget? I'm forgetting um, Ahmed Rosario. And I think Ahmed Rosario will bat eighth at the beginning. I think I personally would put him lower in the lineup until he shows that he's ready for the big time. You don't want to put too much pressure on him. So maybe you put him at seven or eight or something like that, probably eighth. I remember that was something that Reyes early in his career did. So Nimmo, Cabrera, Cespedes, Bruce, Frazier, Gonzalez, Darno, Rosario. Maybe if Reyes is playing second base, maybe you put him lower and then move Rosario into the number two hole. Um, if Lagares is in, then obviously the leadoff spot is open. Maybe then that falls into where you put Rosario higher. I think they're looking more for uh, on base percentage. So there's a lot of possibilities, but that's generally the construction I would see the lineup right now going, Daryl. So uh, you know that's how I would uh, I would see the Mets lineup and uh, appreciate the question. Let's go back to the phone lines. Hey, Mike. This is Charles from Westchester. Um, I'm calling to ask whether you think Jason Vargas is going to make the rotation based on his contract or whether he's actually going to outperform the rest of the starting rotation. Thanks, Mike. Well, you pay someone $8 million, you certainly want to give them every opportunity to be in the rotation. Here's how I'd answer that question. Contract does come into play. And I think that's a very fair point, Charles, and I appreciate the call. I think that if he doesn't pitch well, I certainly don't see the Mets just trotting him out there because he's making $8 million a year. I think right now it would have to be 
somewhat of an upset for Montero, Gazelman, or Lugo to push him out in spring training. Maybe he pitches really poorly. Maybe he shows a knack of being versatile and being able to go multiple innings. I know that there's been talk of them going to a six-man rotation and not going to a six-man rotation. I think they're, they're trying to figure things out. So I would say I'd be very surprised that you sign Vargas, who has been a starter and has done pretty well. I mean, league average to above, above league average, and not put him in the rotation and take a chance with a Lugo, a Montero, a Gazelman, all three who have had flashes, more so Gazelman and Lugo of success, but nothing consistent. The real key here is the health of Mats and Harvey, because if in pitching like you, you, you expect, you're pretty much putting Vargas in as the number five, playing the role of Bartolo Colon that he played so well and, and could give you similar results to Bartolo Colon. And then what you're doing is, is you're using the uh, Montero, Gazelman, Lugo as your depth. I have a feeling that Gazelman, Lugo, you know, Montero's out of options. I cannot see them trading him because he is a starter. If he has an awful spring, it would be very interesting how they're going to handle that. Um, and how they're going to to play that out. But I I just can't see, unless there's a total disaster or injury with Mats and Harvey, how it won't be DeGrom, Syndergaard, Vargas, Harvey, Mats, and then the other three guys as as being depth. But interesting point, interesting question. I would hope that the culture that Mickey Calloway is talking about involves holding individuals accountable for their performance and not just the contract. But when you get pay someone $8 million, you've got to be right, and you really do want to keep someone in the rotation. And I don't know if you want to switch at this point in his career in his you know late thirties you're talking about uh, and give him something to uh, you know potentially change up here at this point. You want to keep guys kind of in a role that they're comfortable with. Thanks for the call. Hi, Mike. My name's Jennifer. Huge Mets fan. Um, I have a question about how they're going to work uh, the rotation in the sense of the 25-man roster or a 40-man, actually, um, like, are they going to have to put people like Wheeler down to AAA? He'll stay in the bullpen or, I mean, get rid of Montero? Because I see the if they're doing a five-man rotation, I see it as DeGrom, Noah, probably Harvey, I assume Matt, and, of course, Vargas. Thanks. Have a good one. I realized when I went through the professor's answer that I didn't I didn't include Wheeler and I don't and that's not intentional because when I was going through Montero Gazelle Maluga I had Wheeler right underneath it on my notepad so you kind of switch them out um, you know I, I look at Wheeler and he just perplexes me I've never been a huge fan uh, you know I guess he would be a guy that may translate to the bullpen. I don't know if he could get up and down. I don't know how his his durability would, would be out of the bullpen. I can't see them carrying nine starters on opening day. Uh, you know, I don't think Wheeler has minor league options to go down, so that's going to be tricky. Really, it's going to be Gazelman and Lugo, who probably won't make this team, which would be interesting. And I think Montero will get the benefit of the doubt. But it's funny, when, when the professor went through his starts, those 31 starts that I took out, you know, I had a smorgasbord of, of Montero, Gazelle, and Lugo, and I really didn't factor Wheeler into that. I just don't see Wheeler ever being healthy. I don't see Wheeler, um, you know, his mechanics have always been bad. His command has always been off. I've just never been a big fan. And he had a couple of moments last year, pitch well, uh, but to me, the chance and the temptation to trade Wheeler back in 2013, 2014, I know why they didn't do it, but it probably when he had some value, I might have thought about it, maybe trade him for some offense. There was always talk about the Mets going to the Cubs and uh, you know trading for Javier Baez or Starling Castro because the Cubs were building on offense, the Mets were building on pitching, and there's always a thought that those two would marry up, and it never happened, so... Um, interesting comment, you know, shame on me, should have had Wheeler at the beginning when the professor had his question, but I, I really think, I, again, I go back, and it seems like the rotation is a theme here. DeGrom, Vargas, Syndergaard, Harvey, Matz are going to be the five. I think the rest of those, and I'm hoping to get 130 starts out of those guys. Um, you know, it's 30, 60, 80, 100, 120, 120, 130 starts out of that. 
and then the rest made up of those other four guys that you talked about. So you go nine deep. The Mets are, in theory, the Mets are nine deep. There's still a chance where you might say, oh, you, you know, you said at the beginning that you need ten. Well, you got Flexen, you got Oswald, you got some guys down in the minors that may develop. And I still wonder if things don't go well. There's not any kind of consistency out of a young player. Would they ever think about importing a veteran starter? That there may be veterans available as the season starts because of this whole free agent situation and guys maybe. And I always said maybe an R.A. Dickey midseason decides he wants to come back, make a few, couple million bucks, and and pitch in a pennant race. So just something to think about. Let's go back to the phone lines. Hey, Mike, how you doing? My name is Rob, a uh, big fan of the show, and uh, I just wanted to ask, you know, since it's uh, spring training, uh, you know, hope spring is eternal, um, I wanted to get your projection on who you thought would be the biggest surprise uh, in this upcoming 2018 season, uh, both from a pitching standpoint and from a position player standpoint. I don't really have any, uh, you know, thoughts or projections myself, so I just thought it'd be nice to throw it out there and see if you could uh, come up with something good. All right, man. Take care. Keep doing it up. Kill it. Peace. Great question. Here's who I'm going to throw out there. For, I'm going to start with the position player question. Here's who I would throw out there. I'm really starting to like Brandon Nemo. I mean, everybody, I mean, everybody at the Queens Baseball Convention talked him up uh, about how, how erudite his interview was. His attitude is always you know, impressed people. I mean, he, had, he was on WR with Salicata. I just have been impressed with, with Brandon Nimmo. He just seems like a guy that, despite the fact that maybe as a first-round pick, he's not in that category like other first-round picks. He's 24, going to be 25. A lot of times when you have those first-round picks, you would hope they would be stars by now. I don't know if he'll ever be a star. I think he'll be more of a component player. But, I mean, he's got a great eye at the plate. He's an on-base guy. The only knock I have on him is that he's a little bit too passive at the plate sometimes, especially with runners in scoring position. I think he's a guy who's going to have a little bit of pop. And in a day and age where you're not really worried about the stolen base and speed at the top of the lineup, where it's more about on-base percentage, I think he could be a nice component player, a 300-at-bat player, maybe a platoon player. And um, I think he's going to surprise some, some, some of us. I think what Conforto is out, and it's funny because when I gave you the lineup at the beginning of the year, we, we, we basically gave you a lineup without Conforto. You know, when Conforto's out, I think he's going to fill in nicely. Where not that you want him for the full season in, 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 in exchange for Conforto, but I think that for the month of April, you won't be saying, geez, you know, looking at your, your calendar saying, when's Conforto getting back? I think he's going to fit in nicely there and provide some value. And then the real interesting part and the challenge for Mickey Calloway will be, when Conforto comes back and hopefully comes back healthy, your outfield is set. You got Bruce, you got Cespedes, you've got Conforto. Conforto's going to play every day. Cespedes is talking about playing, playing 159 games. Uh, I don't think Bruce is going to want to sit too often, and he's lefty. So how does Nimmo get the playing time? How does Ligaris get the playing time? Certainly Ligaris will come in for defense, so he becomes pretty much the fourth outfielder defensive type. But that's a good problem to have. I mean, when you start to really see, you know, Ligaris working on his swing, and I think that would have been another name that possibly I could think of for a positional, play, positional player. But I got to see more. I mean, Ligaris has been around a while. And at the point in his career that he's at, you tend to be who you're going to be, right? I mean, Ligaris is 28 years old. Ligaris has, uh, you know, over 1,700 plate appearances in, in the big leagues which really, considering he's been in the league five years, he hasn't played a heck of a lot the last couple of years. So, so maybe there's some development to be had there, but typically by the time you're five or six years into the league, you are who you are. As far as the pitching side, you know, I, I talked about how I'm very unsure about the Gazelman, Lugo, Wheeler, Montero pitching situation. Um, I think Steven Matz is going to break out this year. I don't know why... I don't have any kind of like logic about his health. I've always felt that Matt, if he could get things together, everybody talked about how good he was in AAA. I remember somebody had said he's one of the best pitchers they've seen in the Pacific Coast League in a long time. Uh, I think everybody forgets this is a kid that uh, pitched pretty well against the Dodgers and the Royals in the playoffs as a youngster coming up. Uh, you know, he had a 169 ERA plus in 2015. And only six starts. He had a 118 ERA plus in 2016. 
um, in the 22 starts that he had. I really think if he's healthy, I think Steven Matz is a guy that could win, you know, 15 games and be the Mets, you know, a, a lighter type, maybe that lefty, uh, you know, maybe they, you know, I hate to use the word Jerry Kuzman out lighter because those are really good pitchers for Mets history, but that's the name I'm going to use. That's the guy I think that uh, I feel is going to be the pitching breakout star here uh, for the New York Mets. One other name to keep an eye on, a bullpen name, he is on the 40-man roster, throws really hard, is Tyler Bashler. I think that's another name to take a look at this spring. I don't know if he's going to make the team, but you're hearing a lot of buzz about his side sessions. He throws hard, um, high strikeout rate in the minor leagues. So keep an eye on for Tyler Bashler. But I, I don't know if I could call him a surprise because I don't even know if he's going to make the team. So good question. Thanks for the call. Let's, uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Hi, Mike. Any chance of getting Ahmad Rosario in that leadoff spot in the lineup? I feel that the best lineup they could put together would have Conforto 3, Cespedes 4, and Bruce 5, and uh, it would lengthen the lineup and the kid hitting the minors, and they could just work with them to take more pitches, lay down a bunt. He's got all the speed in the world. It just would seem to be the ideal spot for him and then the ideal move to lengthen that lineup and just uh, just make it um, better. Thanks a lot, Mike. Bye. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about this earlier in uh, the program about the lineup. And here's what I'll say about Ahmed Rosario on the Ludov spot. I remember when, when Willie Randolph was the manager and David Wright and Jose Reyes came up and he made a point not to rush both of them into the major spots in the lineup. And this is more 2004, Wright and Reyes come up, 2005 more so, where he had Wright batting lower in the order. He had Reyes at one point batting lower, lower in the order. He didn't want to put Reyes in the leadoff spot and put that kind of pressure on him all the time. He had Wright, I think, batting sixth or seventh, and then he inched them up. And I believe that that's something that I would hope Mickey Calloway would do because being the leadoff guy, being the starting shortstop, there's a certain level of pressure that will come with that being here in New York. And the worst thing you want to do is put him in that spot, and then he comes up and he hits 172 in April, and he's not getting on base. And then the focus will be, well, the Mets are, are you know, let's say they're slumping to score some runs. And that, you know, with a team full of power, you know, that's that's part of it, uh, you know. And uh, uh, I think that that's where putting him lower in the lineup, a seventh or eighth spot, is is part of that. And I, I, I would start him low, and I would see how he performs, and then I'd inch him up. And, and eventually, with his speed, if he can get on base, if he can show some plate discipline, uh, you know, that the leadoff spot is for him. Look, sometimes it's not about just walking. Lance Johnson, if you remember, was a 330 hitter. He didn't work a lot, but his on base was probably 330 because he just hit a lot. And, you know, I don't know if Rosario is that kind of player, but uh, I certainly think that in due time, if he develops, hearing so many positive reports about Rosario, uh, in due time, I think he'll be at that spot. I just don't think it'll be at the beginning of the year. You know, one of the other questions that I know came up earlier was about the home runs and whether the Mets could break their home run record. They've been hitting a ton of home runs the last few years. And, you know, to me, uh, I don't know. I'm not really going to get all involved in that. I, I, I certainly think they, they have as much power, if not more power than they've ever had. So I, I certainly think they have a shot at it. Uh, but I do think one of the things I hope this team does is grind that at bats, get on base, focus on situational hitting. Uh, that's why I think guys like Nimmo in the lineup, uh, when they're there, you know, hopefully Conforto comes back and continues to be the more complete hitter that you saw last year versus the year before. I think Todd Frazier will be a better uh, option than what you've had at third base the last couple of years that since uh, Wright has been out. And look, uh, Stribble Cabrera, to me, I know he's got some pop, but he's also a decent on-base guy. And I know that, uh, you know, Neil Walker didn't do a bad job, but Neil Walker also was extremely streaky. I think Cabrera might provide them a little bit more stability there from an offensive standpoint. Um, you know, consistency and, and, and things like that. I mean, he also 
I mean, still a switch hitter, just like uh, Walker. And I think Walker struggled a lot, even though he had a good year the prior year against righties. I don't think he was all that great of a right-handed hitter. I think Cabrera is a little bit better option there. But as far as the home runs, I think this team is, is certainly going to hit a ton of home runs. Hopefully uh, they're more situational than some of the times you've seen them be over the last couple of years. All right, let's go one more phone call, uh, and then we're going to take a break, and then I'm going to go to the mailbag and some of the tweets to, to wrap up the show. So let's go back. One more phone call here. Hey, this is uh, Tony from Palm Bay, Florida. I was wondering what your thoughts on uh, two positions, center field and the long men in the bullpen. Uh, you think it's a straight platoon, lefty-righty for Lagares and Nimmo until Conforto gets back? And out of the starting pitchers that's going to be left out of the rotation, who do you think's going to be? Who do you think best fits the, the long men coming out of the bullpen? All right, thanks. Bye. Yeah, I do think there will be. Thanks for the phone call. I think there'll be a straight platoon for center field while Conforto is out. I think Lagaris and Nimmo. Now, if if one of them is slumping and the other one's playing a little bit better, you know, maybe they'll get a little bit more time. I think if there isn't going to be a platoon, I think Lagaris would be the one to bust it up with a big spring. But I really, again, I think Nimmo brings with his on base, his attitude. Uh, uh, you know, he's a number one pick. You know, there's potential there. I think he brings some, uh, you know, elements that the Mets are looking for. Now, defensively, I'm not sure he's a center fielder. I think he's more of a corner outfielder, but they need him in center field now. And, uh, you know, if he starts, uh, and here's the thing, if he starts a game because a righty's playing, there's no doubt in my mind that Lagares will be in there late anyway for defense. So uh, I think a lot of this is going to be semantics at the end of the day. I think they're both going to get ample time, and I think Lagares will be in there probably every game that's close in late innings from the sixth or or uh, seventh inning on. As far as the, the bullpen and the swing guy, I think the guy that it's going to be is Montero because he's had options. I mean, this is a guy that they've been giving a thousand lives. I think they're so afraid that he's going to go somewhere else and find that control and command that was a staple back when he was in the minor leagues as a young player. Uh, do I think he's the best option? Well, he, he if he's not on, I mean, he walks a lot of guys, and that's not a thing you want coming out of the bullpen. Lugo's the guy that ultimately, and and, and I know that he's got the bum elbow, and, and who knows what the the partial tear, what's that going to lead to? You know, he might you know eventually need Tommy John surgery. Who knows? But that's the guy I think might be the most successful out of that, as long as his elbow can hold up. I still got to see and figure out what Gazelman is. Lugo, I just I just like the spin rate, the curveball, the moxie. Lugo, I like. Uh, Gazelman, I like. Uh, I think he's got more talent than Lugo, but uh, he was a little screwball last year. Uh, Montero and Wheeler, I'm just I'm just not a Wheeler guy. I just don't see how Wheeler could. I think if Wheeler doesn't make the rotation, uh, and I think that's where this kind of gets dicey because. I just don't see how he's going to be valuable out of the bullpen. Uh, and I don't really have all his options here. I don't believe, you know, he doesn't have, I believe, Wheeler any options. So he would need permission to get sent down to the minor leagues. I mean, maybe he wouldn't be healthy. That's always a possibility. And, and then that would put him in a situation where they DL him or they send him to extended spring or, or something along those lines. I mean, Wheeler is the tricky part on all this because I just don't see how uh, – you know he, uh, you know he. If he's not a starter, where he fits in, I don't think his arm could hold up with the 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 wear and tear of the bullpen. And I just don't think he's all that good. I mean, even when he's been on, he's been a below league average pitcher in 2014. He was slightly above league average in 2013. I could deal with that when you're 23. I understand he had Tommy John surgery that set him back, but even at 27, I, I just see a guy who walks too many batters. Um, and he's going to have some really good games, but he's going to be also, uh, uh, you know, a little streaky where you have a really good game and then you have a, ho- a couple of, you know, bombs in a row and a couple of good games. I just, I just don't see someone that, you know, excites me all that much, but that's just me. We'll see. That's what spring training's for. That's what, uh, you know, it all comes down to with, uh, you know, pitchers and catchers and things like that. Got Like Mickey Calloway said, you got to earn it on the field now. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When I return... We'll uh, do a little mailbag. I'll go to the Talking Mets podcast thread 
over at MetsmorizedOnline.com. See a couple of your comments. Uh, I'll see what kind of tweets are out there. We'll wrap up, and uh, we'll put a little bow here on our pitchers and catchers kicking off the spring training call-in show. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, you can check me out all the time at MetsmorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilverMedia, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire, and check out our new syndicated partners over at The Grueling Truth who will also have us on the iHeart Radio Network. We'll be back with some mailbag and final thoughts right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Final thoughts, and I uh, hope everybody's had a good uh, time here. Not, I don't know, I for a kickoff show, pitchers and catchers, hope you like it. Great questions, great content. feel like a little off at times. I don't know, that's just maybe the way I feel, a little off. But anyway, um, we're going to get to the mailbag here and wrap things up. Yeah, I didn't get into the whole, I mean, there's two things that have created what really is faux controversy. I mean, the first one is how angry everybody was that, Somehow Donald Trump Jr. jumped into a photo with the team on a you know, the fishing for sharks. Is that the way the shark hunting? Is that, I don't know. Really, can't really figure out the way you you go about it because there was some commercial that was or some show being filmed that Don Jr. was part of. And I thought Mickey Calloway handled it pretty well. The sad part is that with all the fake outrage because everybody wants to be angry about something and tell people who to hang out with, what to do. And you know, you're supposed to now, if you're a public figure, walk on your tippy toes that Phil Evans, who's a minor leaguer and a non-roster invitee, and, and, and may, who knows with this kind of stuff. I think it's going to blow over, and it pretty much has as of today. I think he could be the fall guy. That's the kind of guy that puts it on his Instagram by accident, and all of a sudden now everybody's angry at him. So hopefully it blows over. It looks like it has. Hopefully it's not going to really blow back on Phil Evans. But the, the first faux controversy, and I thought Mickey Calloway handled it pretty Pretty well answered directly, even made a joke of it and said, look, I don't have the kind of security clearance to even know where the Trump family is. So that's number one. Number two, Sandy Alderson had a press conference yesterday and said that Tim Tebow would, would be in the major leagues. Now, he didn't say that that's going to happen. He's, his belief was that based on who Tebow is, the work he's put in, that he believes he will be in the major leagues. Is that an endorsement? I guess if the GM is giving you that endorsement, that's that means a lot. But why is this a big deal? Everybody and I was listening to Sal Licata on the way, uh, you know, today in the car on the way back home and preparing for the show. And Sal is like, you know, oh, you know, this is a joke. And, I, and, I, and Sal's been on this program and and what have you. Does a nice work over at WOR, but who cares? If the Mets put Tebow on the 40-man roster and it impacts a, a prospect or somehow Tebow worms his way into the 25-man roster and it's in the middle of a pennant race and they're doing it as a sideshow, which I know they wouldn't do, or he's so bad that they bring him up that he is a sideshow, which I don't think Tebow would allow. And This is a prideful athlete, guy who played in the NFL, won an NFL playoff game. I mean, you're not talking about a guy like you or I all of a sudden is just trying to get out there and play outfield for the New York Mets. Maybe they see him as a guy that could pinch run, play some defense. I haven't watched the guy play enough. I mean, you know that he's strike out a ton and hitting is maybe the single toughest thing that any athlete could do in any sport. 
the hand-eye coordination, the discipline, the consistency that you need to be a good hitter. And who knows? Maybe this is a guy that would be a positive influence on the club down down the stretch in a pennant race and provide uh, the same kind of things that Eric Young Jr. provided a few years back, pinch running. I mean, who knows? So a couple of faux controversies. Didn't really want to spend a lot of time on it, but nonetheless thought it was uh, something we should – you know, I should address anyway, but uh, let's wrap up here. And I went to the Mitzmerized online feed for the questions for the show to see if there's anybody who left a comment. I, I call this like the mailbag. So Dr. Winston O. Boogie, I think that's the way his name goes, Dr. Winston O. Boogie. He would like to see Cabrera gone. I think he's bad for the clubhouse as well as on the field. Is there still talk about him being traded? After listening to Sandy Alderson, I think the roster is what the roster is. I know what you're saying about Cabrera being a bad influence. I felt that, especially last year, he caused some issues. He didn't want to be moved off the short, and then he was moved off the short. He went from second, he went to third. He wanted to be traded, and then he didn't want to be traded. He wanted his option picked up. I think it was just part and parcel of just a bad year last year. I'm not quite sure Terry Collins, who prided himself on being this player's manager, really was all that player-friendly. I don't know if, how engaged he was in much of anything. I think it was really his process was in uh, contrast to Mickey Calloway. Let me start the year, bring the veterans in the clubhouse. This is your team. My door's open. Have a great season. And, and basically handle his media responsibilities, uh, write a lineup card, or some who believe it was the front office writing the lineup card, and away you go. And that's just not the way you manage a team in 2018. I don't think it's the right way to manage a team in 1979. But maybe if you had a real mature veteran group that could handle themselves, and maybe at times the 2015 or maybe even the 2016 team could do that, quite clearly the 2017 team, and you heard that at the end of the year with some of the things that came out of the clubhouse and the uh, Mark Carrig of Newsday expose, it wasn't that kind of club that could do that. And I don't know if Cabrera, who probably needed help, handling that transition, probably needed a manager that communicated a little bit better and, and worked with him on that. I mean, this, you know, these are prideful guys. So before I label Cabrera a total clubhouse cancer, know that the guy went from shortstop to second to third, and I'm not really sure, and I'm not in the clubhouse, so I don't know, but I'm not really sure Terry handled any of the transitions or the team in general last year all that well. So uh, before we tar and feather Cabrera, let's, Let's take a step back. Let's see what happens this year. But certainly he was one of those vociferous lawyers that teams have, and, and that's not something that as you get into the 2018 season, as the players focus and prepare for what hopefully is a, a contending year, that you really want to deal with somebody worried about their free agency, their option, where they're playing. You know, you play where you would help the team best. And right now uh, it's second base, and it seems like, well, by all indications, Cabrera's on board with that because he came out and told Kevin Kernan that a few weeks ago. Let's move on. Andrew Herbst, who will be our second lefty in the pen? That's a great question, Andrew. And about 24 hours ago, I would have told you that there's a good possibility that Matt Perk, who was a minor league invitee that pitched for the Chicago White Sox in their Charlotte affiliate last year in AAA, might be, have a shot. The name also that you probably want to keep a lookout for is P.J. Conlon. Now, P.J. Conlon was... Is well, that was is a starter. He started down in Double A last year, and it looks like he's going to be doing some conversion over to reliever. And this was uh, you could check it out over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. And Larry Berniel of WBNG, and I, I forgive, forgive me, I really don't know much about WBNG. Uh, I guess oh, that's actually the Syracuse, the Newhouse uh, school. I'm just trying to find out who. Larry Berniel and WBNG is reported that uh, PJ Conlon. I, this is where you just have to wait and see. I mean, last year as a starter at a 3.38 ERA for Binghamton, there's you know I haven't seen him pitch enough, uh, at all actually. So that's the kind of thing that teams do. They take starters who may or may not be viable big league options in the rotation, convert them to the bullpen. Is a pretty decent strikeout rate, seven per nine. Maybe that ticks up a little bit when uh, you know he hits the bullpen. Doesn't uh, ter- walk people at a terribly high rate, and he's lefty. So 
We'll see. I mean, it'll be interesting. That's where the Mets actually have a little bit of a problem because you're going to have to send down a starter. I talked about this earlier. I mean, geez, when I was going through the the rotation, I actually left uh, Wheeler out there for a minute and and didn't go through Wheeler. You're not going to be able to carry nine starting pitchers. So Gazelman or Lugo, uh, Montero might be designated for assignment. Who who knows how this is going to work out, but – when you look at the active 40-man roster and you look at the bullpen, let's assume they're going to go with 12, maybe 13 pitchers. So you've got Jerry Blevins, you've got Jerry's Familia, you've got A.J. Ramos is three already, you've got Anthony Swarzak, that's four. So how are you going to fill out the remaining two spots? I really like Paul Seawald. I think that that's a, a guy to keep out, a lookout for. He had a rubber arm last year. I, I think he's got a ton of talent. I know that they're a little bit lucky to have him. They they didn't protect him in the Rule 5 draft, that he snuck through and actually made his way to the big leagues. I'm not a big Hansel Robles fan, so uh, we'll see how he does. But to me, he's a tease. I, I wouldn't trust him. I mentioned Tyler Bachelor, the uh, the young righty, that uh, has opened some eyes at camp early on. And then you've got your usual, your your Jamie Callahans, the Jacob Roms, the guys they acquired during the fire sale of last summer. Uh, I I think Conlon, and I'm a big proponent of having two lefties. The problem is, again, if Conlon or Matt Perk, the two non-roster invitee lefties that are in camp, make the team and have to be put on the 40-man, well, who is going to go down? I I probably right will go on the 60-day. That'll open up another spot. They put T.J. Rivera on the 60-day because he's still recovering from Tommy John surgery to make room for Vargas. That's probably the most likely scenario. Uh, I don't really see, unless you are going to remove a Montero or something like that, many other options for uh, a 40-man roster spot. That's why the Mets are not going to go out and sign anybody else because they don't really have room. The 40-man roster is jam-packed, and you only have one other move, and that probably is... Uh, the 40-man roster move that you would uh, make with David Wright. So, uh, One NYC Mets fan, will Luis Guillerme get Wallen back to be his batting coach? Will the Mets hire Wallen back, the swing doctor? Well, Wallen back, Chris Wallen back is the guy that um, uh, has all the Justin Turner, uh, all the love that he's, you know, Bellinger, all these guys that have had renaissances in power who Louis, uh, Juan Lagares is working with. Let Luis Guillerme be who he is. Let him make the team first as a defensive second baseman. Let, let's see if he can be a good, I mean, really a backup at this point, who could play defense, maybe hit 280, hit a home run. I mean, not everything is about home runs. There is a value in defense and a guy who could get on base and, and hit contact. So before we worry about Wallenbach, and I'll keep it short here, Let's just see what Luis Guillermo is all about. We know he can play defense. We've seen even in last spring he was able to show his hands off when he caught that bat flying in the dugout. All right, let's do one more, two more uh, mailbags. Uh, Frank Anon, the Mets plan a full-scale rebuild of 28, in 2018 if another injury-plagued underachieving year. Hard to say. I don't have a crystal ball. I do think if, if the team falls apart again for any kind of reason, I'm almost positive that the plan would be very similar to last year because everybody was like, well, the Mets weren't going to spend money and all this. Well, they did spend money, uh, and I think part of them spending money would be contingent on Sandy Alderson going to ownership and saying, look, if things don't work out, I could I could sell this guy off at the deadline. These are short-term contracts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so we'll, you know, that's, that's where I look at that. Too soon to tell. I... I you got to have a good feeling of this team the first week into pitchers and catchers. Uh, you really you really can't, at this point, have anything but. And uh, uh, to me, that's, uh, that's what you should be focused on right now, and, uh, and nothing more uh, at this point. So anyway, um, I think that's it. I'm going to run through. Let's go to the Twitter feed. Yeah, that's about it. So anyway, hope everybody hope everybody had a great show. I certainly had a lot of fun. And uh, we'll do this again. I'm, I'm going to be back probably the same format that we nor- normally do, try to get it back in on a Sunday. 
working on getting a guest from Port St. Lucie, get more of an update. We'll be at this time next week. We'll be in two weeks into spring training and get a better feel of, you know, games will have started, maybe get a better feel of things and uh, hopefully continue to feel a lot and see a lot of the positive vibes that we've seen this far. I want to thank everybody over at MetsamorizedOnline.com. Of course, you can check me out all the time on Twitter at MikeSilvaMedia. Check out our new uh, pals over at The Grueling Truth, which also will allow us to be on the iHeart Radio Network. Of course, you can check the show out on iTunes, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Take care. Appreciate the time today. Have a great week. Man.